CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. The Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are back talking more CFL football with our Week 7 CFL recap. We are officially one-third of the way through the CFL season, Mr. Michael Garrell. Uh, how are you doing tonight? Not too bad, not too bad. I mean, one-third of the season down, two-thirds to go, and a whole lot of craziness yet to be decided. Yeah, and it's crazy that we're a third of the way through, and right now is when we're starting to get into the whole meat and potatoes of it, because uh, we're starting to get these divisional matchups. You had Calgary playing their first divisional game this past week. Um, you know, you had you had Ottawa and Hamilton playing each other for first place in the East. This week coming up is all in division matchups, so I think we're going to start to see a little more of what some of these teams are made of. You know, and, and the interesting thing is, like, I've been following the CFL for a while, like a number of years. I can't recall a year, and I, and I have to look back. But, you know, there's always your your front runner, in this case, Calgary. There's always your bottom team, you know, which is unfortunately the worst team in the league. But never before... That I can recall, have I seen, let's say, in power rankings, number two to, let's be frank, number six, be so interchangeable? Who's seven, eight, and nine? I imagine Montreal and Toronto are eight and nine. Who's number seven? Well, you know, and that, and you could even, for for, for the sake of that, that's just, I throw two through seven. You know, in there as well. I mean, it's just so fascinating how every how we have one good team and two bad uh, two. I don't want to say bad teams, but two, no, you 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 can you 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 can say that. Well, two weaker teams. Let's right. just say that's the polite but, way of putting it. Yeah, and and I want to be polite because I know there are fans of. Both these two teams that listen and Fair enough. all that kind of stuff. Um, but never before have I seen that I can recall so much interchanging amongst, you know, and I and I get this um, just by putting uh, the weekly power ranking together, you know, and I, I was looking back at just how interchangeable that kind of middle tier is. And I think it speaks to none of the middle-tier teams being superior over one another, right? Right. So for some teams, it's good offense, not so good defense. For some teams, it's good defense, but not so good offense. And I think now is the time, just like you alluded to, where you might see one of those middle teams start to put it together with some consistency. 
Yeah, and uh, this week we had some of those teams maybe start to put things together, and uh, we'll get into all of those games here. And there was also a lot of news that's come out already this week in the CFL around the week. So we'll try to cover as much of that as we can over the next hour or so as well as we recap week seven. Uh, the news items we don't get to, we'll make sure to uh, talk about in our week eight preview show, which will be coming out uh, Wednesday night as well. Uh, I just had the pleasure right before we sat down for this one to speak with Travis Curra of the Two and Out CFL podcast uh, to join us for our week in week eight preview. So uh, stay tuned for that show to come out Wednesday and the uh, the conversation on all that stuff with Travis Curra. Mike, uh, before we get into our first game of the week, the Canadian Football Countdown is a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Uh, make sure to check out all the other Canadian Football Podcast Network shows at CF Pod Network on Twitter and cfpodnetwork.ca. Let's kick yeah. things off here. Where do you want to start? Uh, we should probably start with the first game of the week, which was Edmonton 44, Montreal 23. Yeah, and what a weird game this was. Uh, just from a standpoint, but I was thinking about, you know, middle of the second quarter, that we might be in for an offensive shootout the way the game was going. Yeah. Uh, well, by the way, while you were just speaking, I think about five more penalty flags were thrown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was very interesting. I mean, I, I can't recall a game... You know, in recent memory, at least early on, that had as many penalties as that one did. I think it was something like 237 yards of penalties in the first half. Overall, we had 186 for Edmonton, 143 for Montreal in terms of yardage, a combined 25 penalties. I mean, my goodness, the orange flags were flying as much as touchdown passes from Mike Riley in this game. Uh yeah, you mentioned early on, you know, it looked like Montreal had a bit of chutzpah to them, if you want to call it that. We Vernon Adams getting his first start uh, in his second stint with the Alouettes. Um, came out on his first drive and scored a touchdown for Montreal. It looked like they were maybe piecing things together early in the game. Uh, they lose this one 44-23, though. Mike Riley, my goodness. Four touchdown passes, one on the ground, and 415 yards passing. Uh, a lot of talk was about the quarterback situation for Montreal, but Mike Riley stole the show. You know, it's very interesting, Ryan. And, I mean, we're going to have a fairly um, interesting discussion when it comes to pivots behind center. Uh, you know, when we do talk about Toronto and their quarterback change, but... You know, and I, I think this relates to Mike Riley, too. And, you know, Vernon Adams, to an extent, too. You know, it just goes to show that when you have talent that can surround the quarterback, see exhibit A in Edmonton, how good that quarterback can be. Yeah, I, and I mean, Mike Riley is as good as it gets. He's the reigning MOP and the leading passer in basically every category this year. And I mean, he put up another impressive week again this week. Uh, let's let's get to the elephant in the room. It's the Montreal Alouettes quarterback situation. Uh, 
Vernon Adams gets the start because, well, frankly, Manziel was just acquired on Sunday and the game was Thursday night. That is not enough time for a guy to learn the offense whatsoever. Um, although maybe Saskatchewan's offense in which, you know, their quarterbacks only provided three plays to basically run the entire game long. But I mean, Montreal was not going to start Manziel on Thursday. Vernon Adams gets the start, but June Jones does promise that basically Manziel will see the field at some point, And yet he does not at all in this game. I think you mean uh, Mike Sherman. Who did I say? June Jones. June Jones, I meant Mike Sherman. I know you did. Um, Thanks for correcting me. No worries. Um, no, I just wanted to make sure that I, I didn't miss anything. Um, but no, I think, too, it was one of those unfortunate circumstances. And this, this is no knock against uh, the quarterback here, Vernon Adams. Um, quite frankly, I think he was the one that was most ready given the circumstances of, number one, learning the offense, and number two, quarterback health. Yeah, and, 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 you know, Manziel, we've come to learn, is getting the start this week for Montreal. And frankly, Mm -hmm. it's what the fans, I mean, they're giving the fans what they wanted, I would almost say, because even when Vernon Adams was playing well against Edmonton, Every drive ended with chants of we want Johnny and booing Vernon Adams off the field. And Vernon Adams took that a little personal. Did you uh, did you happen to see his comments today about it? I, I did. And when I checked back a couple hours ago, he sent issued an apology. You know, if I'm Montreal ownership, I have a little bit of a talk with Mike Sherman regarding... Just the comment that he made going into the football game where he said, we are going to see some form or a few plays of Johnny Manziel. I I can't remember exactly what the wording was going into the game. But the minute you say something like that, you put expectations on a fan base that, you know, you're going to see the guy that you literally in most cases and in most people's minds, overpaid for. I'm not sure I'm of that belief yet, but we'll find out. The minute you put, you know, yourself out there like that, suggesting that he would just see a drive or two, you right away put expectations amongst your fan base, you know, to sort of, oh, he said he's coming in. So maybe us putting pressure on will help the cause. And I, I really don't think it helped, you know, Vernon Adams. And I, I think I told you this in a text message today, but I feel really bad for Vernon Adams because it seems like every time he has the chance to become a number one guy or the clear-cut opportunity for him, it seems like in this case, at least this year anyway, Johnny Manziel seems to follow him around. Mind if I, uh, I'm going to grab the soapbox here and stand on it, Mike, uh, in support of Vernon Adams, because, and in support of Mike Sherman for what he did this past week. Yes, right. Mike, Mike Sherman completely messed up and saying, you know, Manziel was going to see some time. And of course he backtracks after the game and says, oh yeah, it was only about a 20% chance. Why even mention it at all in that case? You know, people are going to buy into that. 
but but and and that Ryan, you hit the nail right on the head. That that's my point. Yeah. Like, you say something, the fans rally behind what you say. Especially if you say it in the media, and you get maybe what you got. But but here here's the thing. Absolutely the right decision to start Vernon Adams and not throw Manziel in there in his first week. And then everyone clamoring, yes, the game got out of hand. And, you know, at that point in time, maybe you throw a backup quarterback in normally. But you paid so much for this guy to bring him in to succeed. In what way at all is throwing him to the Wolves when when the offensive line can't even help, you know, arguably perhaps the most mobile quarterback in the CFL stay upright, if your offensive line can't even do that, what good does it do throwing Manziel into the football game for him to just get eaten alive when already the game is, you know, out of hand at that point? If you really want him to succeed, you give him a fresh start, yes, which is what they're doing this week against uh, against Hamilton. And frankly, I don't even think that's the right decision. I I loved what I saw from Vernon Adams, and no, that's not just because I had the guts to put him in my fantasy lineup this past week, uh, in which he put up the second highest point total out of any quarterback behind, of course, Mike Riley. But Vernon Adams, what I saw from him this game, I mean, the way he used his legs to escape the pocket, that opened up, this was the most offense we've seen from Montreal all year. Sure, they put up 23 points, which matches what they put up against Saskatchewan. But you look at it this way. Boris Bidet uh, missed three field goals in this game. That's nine points right there. Chris Harper has a catch that he should have had for a touchdown that he, you know, can't come up with the ball on that one. There are a couple other drop passes by veteran receivers like Ernest Jackson. Vernon Adams had himself a heck of a football game. Uh, I would say that might not jump out on the stats sheet, but if those pieces can come together, you're not looking at a 41-23 game or a 44-23 game. You're looking at something around a 44-35 game or something a lot closer than that and the best offensive output for the Alouettes all season. So I think Vernon Adams has definitely earned a second straight start. And yes, I get the notion that people want uh, you know, you paid so much for Manziel, you bring him in to be your starter. No, you bring him in to be successful long term, and that's not going to work if he hasn't had a time to learn the offense, which I don't know if he's done in one extra week. Here, here's my thing, and I, and I completely agree with you that you know if Montreal left point on the field and it might have been a closer game and yada yada yada. Understood entirely, and I 100% agree with you. And I think if it is a closer game. I think Montreal plays the last part of the game there a little bit differently because it is a closer game. However, I think it just beats two, and Vernon Adams brought an element that has been missing uh, from that Montreal offense uh, that I'd really like to touch on, and you touched on it a little bit. Drew Willie and Matt Schiltz, with all due respect, really had trouble moving the pocket. they, they were staying in the pocket. They were being hit. You know, they would... I, I don't even think they really tried to move the pocket at times, to be honest with you, because they were under siege so much. And I don't know if it's, you know, this split-second slow reaction time that, you know, seems to hit Drew Willie. And we, you know, those of us in Winnipeg would know exactly what I'm talking about. 
you know, Willie seems to hold on to the ball at extra second instead of making the play. It's, it's football is so much, especially at the quarterback position, a read and react uh, position. I like and I love the fact that Vernon Adams used his legs to make plays and open things up a little bit. And it's just really unfortunate some of the guys around him couldn't make the plays. Now, we've got other games to talk about yet, so we don't want to spend the whole show on this one. But uh, Montreal's defense, I took them in fantasy this week. You know, I took Vernon Adams and I took Montreal's defense, frankly, because in CFL fantasy, the way I look at it, and that's partially to do with, you know, the talk I had on the podcast last week with fantasy expert Ben Kramer, in that only one person wins at the end of the season. So to get ahead, sometimes you got to take some risks. So I took Montreal's defense. They put up negative two fantasy points, and, and they were not good all night long. Mike Riley tore them to shreds. Duke Williams did it again this week. Uh, when's he going to stop? When when does Duke Williams finally get shut down? Because he had two touchdown catches and over 100 yards for the fifth straight week. I believe that either ties or breaks an Eskimos record. Well, here here's something very, very interesting. A lot of the plays that I find uh, Duke Williams makes are those 50-50 footballs. And if there's a quarterback that can put his team in position in position to win a lot of those 50-50 battles, it's Mike Riley. Absolutely. And, you know, and that goes back to what I said earlier. You know, you surround your quarterback with talent. Well, the talent also helps the quarterback out. So that... May have been a problem for Matt Schultz and Drew Willie, you know, in Montreal early on. But Edmonton, my goodness, it's no accident that they're rolling. Really, I have no knock against the Eskimos in this game besides penalty struggles because you look at that first drive where Montreal scored, they were brought down to the one-yard line by, I believe, a defensive pass interference call. Good old mm-hmm. Chris Edwards took a penalty yet again this game, Mike. Uh, a, yeah. a big penalty, at least one. Uh, they were just taking careless penalties that kept Montreal drives alive and got them going offensively. And yeah, I agree. Going back to what you said at some point here, you know, I actually thought the Alouettes stuck around in this one for a little while and had a decent first half of football. Well, here's the interesting thing too. And I mean, we haven't talked about very much about this Edmonton defense, which in my opinion has slowly and but steadily improved every week. They weren't an issue last week. You know, if you take away the penalty, then I think the defense is starting to kind of figure itself out. And, you know, the four and two Eskimos, you know, one would suggest, you know, they're they're very lucky to be in that scenario. But hey, you're 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 four and two and come come November and you're fighting for home field or you're fighting for a playoff spot or you're fighting to stay in your division for the playoffs. Every win counts, and I think that Edmonton defense is slowly starting to figure out, you know, those guys that they have out with injury. They're starting to kind of find guys that can replace them, and those guys are starting to come into their own, and especially with Edmonton uh, hitting a weak part of their schedule here for the next couple weeks. They might be able to go on a bit of a run. I, I still have reservations about Edmonton's defense, and it's frankly based on the quality of offensive they've faced you know two games back to back with the Argos who have not put up over 20 points on a game this year and then this game with the Alouettes and now they're facing a Riders offense that 
might look a little bit different, and we'll get into that yet, but, you know, the Riders' offense hasn't been able to generate much this year, so I think they haven't necessarily faced some high offensive competition in recent weeks, and and that's a perfect segue into talking about the next game here, uh, because I do want to move on to the Toronto Argonauts in Winnipeg for a rematch with the Bombers. Bombers take this one handily, 40-15. to It wasn't close. Um, The Bombers' defense, Mike, seven turnovers, four sacks on the night. They completely dominate, and, you know, one thing that's now being thrown around is has this Bombers' defense turned a corner? I was talking to somebody, basically the day before the game here, and I said, what do you need to see from the Blue Bombers to be convinced that they're for real. And he said, you know what? And I'm paraphrasing here. He just said, he said, I need to see the defense put bat to bat to bat to bat good performances together. And, you know, again, at times I felt like there was this bend but don't break defense, which was bailed out by a couple of turnovers, you know, deep in territory, which took away scoring opportunities for the Ardles. But full credit to a guy that I think we named Player of the Week, Javon Santos Knotts. Oh, for Ab- sure. Absolute monster. And I'll tell you what, it's no accident that he's having a big year because you look at who's lined up beside him and the guy that was jersey number four in Adam Badehill. So, you know, Badehill's kind of, I don't want to say the driving force, but I'll tell you what. I don't think it's an accident, but this bomber defense has started to kind of slowly but surely round into form, and I'm not surprised that number four is in the middle of it because he sucks so many players. He, he sucks a lot of the defensive, or sorry, the offensive players. Two guys like Santos Knotts and makes their tackles a whole heck of a lot easier. Yeah, and, and, you know, the way I was tying this into the previous game is, yes, it looks like the Bombers' defense has turned a corner, but again, two straight games with Toronto. There are other strong defensive performances this year, Week 2 against Montreal, and the first matchup with BC when they had the struggling Jonathan Jennings in the lineup. You know, the Bombers are at a now, what, a 4-3 and three record on the season? You look at their yep. You look at their four wins on the year, blowout win over Montreal, 56-10 to 10 in that one. Uh, 41-something win over the BC Lions, and then 38-20 win over Toronto last week, and a 40-14 win over Toronto this week. So they're 4-3 record. The four games they've won this year have been absolute blowouts, but they've been against arguably the worst teams in the league. So, in essence, reading between the lines, people would suggest the Bombers are doing what they need to do. Against the teams they should beat, yes. And and now it becomes a question of those teams that are a little closer to you. What do you make of games like that? You look at that game against Hamilton that they couldn't win. Uh, They let that one slip away against BC. That week one game against Edmonton, to me, I don't know what to make of that because it was week one and it was just such a weird circumstance with the weather in that game. Uh I will say this, the stats don't lie here. The Bombers offensively are first in the league with an average of 34.14 points per game. I mean, you're going to win a lot of games if you can score that many each week. And 
you talk about the defense possibly turning a corner there, here. You know, we've come to see a lot of Bombers defenses that uh, that have given up a lot of yards, a lot of points over the last couple of years. They're tied for second in the league, averaging 21 points against, and uh, they give up the fourth least number of passing yards in the league. And last year, that was a sore spot. And guess what? It is no accident that those yardages are down. Because if you look at it, the number of explosion plays are also down substantially. Yes, and they've done a very good job of of that as well. Again, I don't know if Bombers have been tested uh, too much yet. You know, outside of that game against Edmonton in Week 1, uh, I don't think they're facing any. They faced any team with more than a 500 record yet. Uh, they, you know, they haven't faced Ottawa. They'll do that in two weeks. They haven't faced Calgary, and they really haven't faced Edmonton besides that week. So, and they have, of course, haven't faced this, the rival Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So, I think we've got some stiff competition coming up in the middle pack of the season for the Bombers, and I think that's when we'll start to decide, you know, really see. Is this team as good as the stats are currently showing? Well, and and here's the thing, too. I, I think the Bombers have had a perfect start to the season schedule-wise because they've allowed their defense to kind of figure things out. On the other side, I think we look at this, too. In the seven games that the Bombers have played leading into their first bye this week, there were really only one bad game where they played really unacceptable was the Hamilton game. And that second half against BC in the rematch. Yeah, but that was, what, a three-point loss? Yeah, but when you go up from 17 nothing to lose 20-17, to that's a bad half of football, Mike. Well, it's a bad half of football, but realistically in seven games... One and a half bad games out of, out of seven is really good. You know, that's, that's acceptable, and to me... To me, I think you really just looked at the defensive stats, and I, I think you looked at the offensive stats, and what strikes me, Ryan, is just to quickly rave about the Bombers here quickly before we talk about the Ardles. Yeah. The Bombers are wiping away this notion of being a one-trick pony. How so? They are finding ways to use guys in ways that is seemingly different every week. You know, this week... Dempsey was a bit faster in the offense. Last week it was Dressler. Well, last, week it, last week it was Andrew Harris setting his well, career best. But you know what I'm trying to say, right? Every, every week it's somebody different. And this week, Andrew Harris, I mean, I don't even think he hit 50 yards or on, 70. On, yeah, on the ground he had 28. Through the air he had 50. Okay, so I don't even think he hit 80 yards then. Nope. Nope, not in total. But the Bombers were still able to put up a number of points. That just goes to show how good you are. And I and I think that's a lot in large part to Paul Appleby's offense. One of the guys... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And can I just tell you about how excited I am about Kimbrough Tompkins? I was literally just going to interrupt you to talk about him. Goodness gracious, that guy. He did more than... About a half a game that I saw, then the Darius Bowman didn't sit James, no disrespect. Yeah, I think Doug Brown said on the post-game show on CJOB that he only needed something like nine more yards to pass what Bowman did as a bomber so far this season. 
And really, he could have had more in a touchdown if he wouldn't have run out of gas there on that long catch. I, I liked what I like what I saw from Kenbro Tompkins, and if that just adds another deep threat here for the Bombers, that's going to see you know even more offense coming from them. I want to move on. I want to talk about the sure. Argos. Sure. This is starting to become a mess with Toronto here because. As, as high-powered as we've talked about the Bombers' offense being, the Toronto offense is entirely the opposite. They didn't put up more than 20 points yet again. They put up just 14 points this week against the Bombers. Uh, James Franklin has struggled since coming in after the unfortunate Ricky Ray injury. Um, they really can't get anything going on offense. James Wilder Jr. is not even playing at the level we expected him to this year. And uh, they decided coming into next week that they're going to make a quarterback change. Mike McLeod, Bethel Thompson will be taking over the starting duties as they face Ottawa this week. Talk about Toronto's offense. Why? Why? Why is it struggling so much? And, and does this fix it? Well, I I have my suspicion that if if you looked at the simple fact, there's not a lot of offensive weapons at whoever the quarterback is for Toronto at their disposal. You know, there's no DeVere Posey. There's, there, there's no... And the, and the names escape me right now. Well, uh, that, that was that was the big one they lost from last year. It was SJ Green, Armonte Edwards, and DeVere Posey. Posey is gone. Green has struggled so far this year. And Armonte Edwards has always kind of been more of a, you know, a steady guy uh, that will get a couple catches, a couple key catches, but not really your game breaker. I am stunned that the Ardos have not signed Bakari Durant. I know, right? It's just like... How has nobody signed Bakari Grant? This was a guy that had 1,000 yards last year and is waiting at home for somebody to give him a call. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they see... Maybe teams see exactly what Saskatchewan saw, and that was maybe that he was on, on the back end of... His career, you you can't not. you can't really say that though when he had his best season of his career just last year. Well, well here, here's here's the interesting thing for me: if people say that he's supposedly on the bat nine of his career, which I find very hard to believe, is he that much worse than anybody that's currently on a team like Toronto's receiving core? No, I don't think so. They, they need to give him a call. They need to bring him in. You know, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, I'm interested to see what he does this week. Uh, knowing me and my willingness to take risks in CFL Fantasy, I'll probably end up starting him for some stupid reason uh. at quarterback. But let, let's be real, McLeod Bethel-Thompson's not going to fix anything here for Toronto. I really don't think he is because I don't, you know, people are now suggesting that James Franklin can't be a starting quarterback in the CFL after what they've seen from him the last couple of weeks. And this goes back to what I talked about kind of with the whole Manziel thing and when he should start for Montreal. You bring a quarterback in and with the hopes of having him succeed, how the heck is he going to succeed if you don't give him the proper tools in order to do so? He doesn't have any deep threat to throw the ball to. Uh, you know, he's not getting much help from his running game right now, and his offensive line is not helping him much either. I mean, sure, some of this is definitely on James Franklin, but I think, you know, he's placed in an offense right now where he doesn't have the tools he needs, 
And uh, I, I think it's going to be the same struggles for McLeod Bethel Thompson. Yeah. Um, here, here's the interesting thing, too. Um, Mark Tressman, I don't know if you remember saying this, but or if you remember him saying this, for a time in training camp, McLeod Bethel Thompson was, was the head of James Franklin on the depth chart. Right. Now, I just wonder how much of this is trying to protect an asset knowing that the team is supposedly not doing well and being worried about, you know, arguably your franchise quarterback's confidence. Well, one of the things I want to talk about here with the Toronto offense is kind of, you can tell that Jim Pop and Mark Trestman are really trying to turn this around here, right? They're not, they're not okay with the status quo uh, that they've had the last couple of weeks. They make that change at quarterback, which I think is not a bad idea to give them a fresh fresh piece there, right? Uh, and then they go and make a trade this week. They ship TJ Heath off to Montreal and get Ryan Bauman back uh, at offensive line to shore that up a little bit. You know, a great Canadian piece on the offensive line there. Uh, how crucial was that trade for them? Do you think it helps? I think it helps, but I think it only solves one problem. Um, Toronto has a lot more problems than um, than just an offensive line and a quarterback, and and just an offense in general. You know, the defense certainly hasn't played great. Um, Ronnie Pfeffer can't kick field goals, and I believe they actually brought somebody else in this week. I forget who it was um, that might come in and take over or compete for that position at least. You know, it, it, it's it's a struggling start to the year, a 1-5 record for Toronto. And I think you mentioned this on the podcast last week. This is really, for the first time in his tenure as a CFL coach, uh, Mark Tressman being tested. Moving on to the third game of the past week. Uh, this was the game I believe we pegged. Well, I think you had Calgary-Saskatchewan, but I think I pegged this one as the game of the week between Hamilton and Ottawa. Uh, it was one where we expected to be a really high-scoring game, and then you all of a sudden text me at some point during the game um, because I was not able to watch this one, saying there really wasn't much to watch because not much happened. A very low-scoring affair this one that Ottawa takes 21-15. Yeah, when you when your kicker scores all the points, uh, it speaks for itself. <laughs> 21-15. All of it comes off the foot of Lewis Ward, the rookie Canadian kicker, uh, the homegrown. Uh, he's from Ottawa, uh, kicker for the Ottawa Red Blacks. Lewis Ward, 7-of-7 seven seven on field goals. Uh, gets all the points on the board for Ottawa. They couldn't put up a touchdown in this one. Hamilton didn't get a single touchdown until the final couple of minutes. Did this surprise you that this was such a defensive affair? Well, I'll be honest. I thought we were heading, if you would have seen the first five minutes of the game, I thought we were heading to our highest scoring game of the season. Or one of the highest scoring games of the season, and all of a sudden it seemed like inside the twenty yard line the defense is stiffened and forced a lot of field goals. And, and, and for the Tie Cats, uh, from what you had told me, uh, they they struggled a little with some of those short ones, right? Liram Harawahu, a couple of misses, I believe. Yeah, he uh, 
I found this out later on because I watched the game on my iPad and it was hard to hard to tell. I found out later on he had one inside twenty yards that was blocked. Oh, okay. So it wasn't a direct miss, and then he had another one uh, that appeared to go through, but it ended up just missing. Nonetheless, uh, points left off the board for sure. Um, and it's just one of those games where I think it's quite honestly two teams that are searching for offensive consistency of late. And you know what? I'm actually going to go out and say this is two teams heading in opposite directions right now because Ottawa now sits first in the East at 4-2. and two. Um, Their two losses have come against Calgary, which is to be expected. So not facing Calgary, they're undefeated on the year so far. Um, whereas Hamilton has now lost three in a row and, uh, there's, they're, they're, they're falling down a little bit there. They had such a strong start to the year. They're just two and four record though. Um, what's up with Hamilton? It looked like, you know, yes, Mazzoli got over 300 yards again, but he struggled to find the end zone for most of this game. Yeah. Until the end. I mean, he got one touchdown. Uh, I want to say what about. Under it was inside the three minute warning for sure. One forty eight, one forty eight left in the game to Jalen Saunders. Yeah, and then he had a real big play again to Jalen Saunders to get him inside the thirty yard line when it looked like they would have a chance to tie the game or even win the game. I can't remember exactly what the scoreline was. Um, and then unfortunately he took a couple of sats and pushed them back. And I didn't necessarily agree with the play, the, sorry, the play circumstances uh, for Jeremiah Mazzoli and taking those sats. But, you know, I mean, I guess he's trying to make something happen. And he, he should have, in my opinion, thrown the ball away. And I know it's easier said than done, right, when you're backpedaling and trying to do a whole bunch of things and then you get caught up for a sat. And it's all part of the learning process for, for a young quarterback. Uh, but it's unfortunate that he lost all the yards on those plays. And I believe the third down play was from somewhere close to close to the 45 to the 50-yard line. So he had lost about, I want to say, 15 to 20 yards somewhere around there on the first and second down play. So it really didn't help. He didn't really help himself there and... I just thought Mazzoli's execution on those three plays in particular after the big one to kind of set them up really kind of took the team away from trying to win the game. On the Ottawa side of things, their win, I I would say, was carried by two guys in this game, and maybe you throw William Powell in there as a third. Uh, Obviously, the defense did their part, and you can't complain with what the defense did in this game. But, I mean, it's the guy we talk about every week, seemingly, for Ottawa now. Brad Sinopoli, another huge game. Nine catches for 82 yards. I mean, I I don't know what his total is on the year. I'll look at it here. Um, But he has games of 11 catches, 11 catches, 9 catches. It seems to be that uh, Trevor Harris is going to hit Brad Sinopoli all night long every week, and nobody's stopping that. Yeah, it's very interesting, uh... We really know who a couple of quarterbacks in the lead target as their favorite receiver. And Trevor Harris, his his favorite target for sure is Brad Sinopoli. He's averaging seven and a half catches a game. 
Uh, I mean, Sinopoli's having, I would say, the best season of his career. He's already at over 550 yards just six games into the season. And, and the second guy I want to talk about, and we've mentioned him already, how about Lewis Ward? Is this guy a third of the way through the season? He might be the front runner for CFL Rookie of the Year. Not even that. Is he a front runner for Special Teams Player of the Year? Perhaps. I mean, tw- twenty of twenty-one. I think that's something like ninety-five percent. Um, the math on the spot escapes me. Uh, mm-hmm. but ninety-five-ish percent on field goals. That's best in the league. Seven for seven. I mean, they basically relied him on on him all night long, and he delivered. Um. Rookie kicker, not a bad performance. That makes him uh, our special teams player of the week, as we announced those on our website a little earlier on in the week already. Uh, great day by Lewis Ward and really carried the team on this one. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. I mean, when, once in a while you need a game like this, I guess, from your kicker, where your kicker single-handedly put the game on a spot. Honestly, reminds me eerily of a couple of Blue Bomber games in the last two years. Not necessarily this year, but, you know, the Bombers have won a lot of games off the foot of Medlock. So it was kind of like something I've seen here before. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to put it. Um, talk about maybe the defenses for both these sides. Really strong performances. What have you seen from the two defenses? Um... I was really encouraged with what both teams, quite honestly, did defensively, given the offensive capability of both of these offenses. And quite honestly, I expected more from Chris Williams. Well, well, I'm not too surprised because it was Williams' first week in the lineup. But, you know, Terrence Tolliver was out this week, I believe, right? He didn't play. Luke Tasker yeah, didn't Tasker, play. So. so you expected maybe Chris Williams to be thrown in the lineup there. And maybe that's some of the struggles that Hamilton had here. But uh, Banks had himself a bounce-back game, nine catches for 113. And Jalen Saunders, uh, I said, I think, last week that, you know, he seems like he might be one of the most underrated receivers in the league. Uh, I don't know if too many people consider him to be the Ticats' best receiver, but arguably he is. 154 yards, gets their only touchdown. A very fine season so far for Jalen Saunders. Yeah, and it's very interesting. And I, I, Of those two guys you mentioned, uh, uh, Tasker and the other receiver that's injured. Tolliver? Yeah, I think it sounds like Tasker... He's going to be bad for sure. One of the two, maybe both of them. Yeah. So we'll see so, We'll see how that plays out and how they integrate Chris Williams in with all those options. I mean, there's no shortage of options at the disposal of Jeremiah Mazzoli. I have a question for June Jones, though. Sure. Where the heck is your running game? Yeah, they went away from it this week. John White only eight carries for something like 20 yards. Uh, 22, where, where, 25 where the, years. Where has the running game been the last four or five weeks? Well, last week, John White had himself a fairly decent game against Saskatchewan's defense, who was number one against the run. Um, but, you know, after those early, after that early start to the season, and I have to wonder if maybe this is, you know, related to the running back carousel 
that they employed early on that, you know, you had these guys, but none of them can really get into a consistent groove if you're rotating them game in and game out. And uh, perhaps now John White can start to find some consistency as it looks like he's getting the bulk of the carries going forward. And he'll have the chance to do so when they play Montreal this week. Just go to show a day like Alex Green how quickly it's spendable to be. Well, he's coming off six game. Uh, he is back practicing, I believe. So maybe Alex Green gets back to the starting job soon. Well, it's just it's just interesting, right? Because you know, there, there's a couple teams in the CFL that, for some reason, seem to want to go away from a running game, and I, I just like for me, Hamilton, and you've heard me make this comment before, I think. Hamilton more so. I mean, even when they had C.J. Dable, you know, in the last couple of years, they didn't really seem to want to use him for whatever reason. So so I, I just don't know if it's a philosophy thing or they don't have the guy or exactly what is going on over there. Well, let's move on to the final game of the week, Mike. Calgary and Saskatchewan, you pegged this as the game of the week, possibly even the game of the year. Two strong defenses going head-to-head. We're going to get a low-scoring game. Uh, I didn't get to watch this one live, and I actually missed the first quarter. But I came home and uh, checked what the score was and, you know, started watching after the first quarter or late in the first quarter expecting, oh, you know, maybe it's something like a 6-3 game at this point. And I turn it on. It's 24-0 Calgary in the first quarter. What? Yeah, um, this was not exactly a surprise if you would have watched the game the way it unfolded, but this was the case of Saskatchewan handing points over on a silver platter. Um, there was a turnover on downs on a third down after the day on Saskatchewan's opening drive. I forget who the running back was. May have been fade pen, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, all three of them got some carries in this one. So, so anyway, he had the first down. And as, after he had the first down on the, on the third and inches, somebody punches the ball out. And the next drive with the fumble, um, it was just a calamity of errors. And then you had a Terry Williams punt return touchdown. Right, and that, and that didn't really help either. And then they had a field goal, which, you know, of course made it, I think, 17-0 or something like that. I, I can't quite remember, but let this be a lesson to the entire CFL. If you did Bo Levi Mitchell and Calgary short fields, what happened in the first quarter is going to be happening with great regularity. Well, it was just funny to and kind of surreal to turn it on at the point where it was 24 nothing because coming into the game, you got that vibe from a lot of people that Saskatchewan's going to overthrow Calgary in this one. I think you picked the Riders to win this one, did you not? Uh, you did, right? I did, and that was the one pick that I had run all of uh, uh, last week. And, you know, it's just, it's just so unbelievable that you know, you take that first quarter out, you take those turnovers out, the, the Riders won the game. The Riders, to me, were the better team. And then the, and the interesting thing was, you know, when the Riders needed a touchdown, 
in the third quarter, late second quarter, third quarter, they were taking all all those field goals. Man, if one of those turns into a touchdown, particularly the one that, uh, where they took the field goal when it was 24-19, if, if they turn that into a touchdown, it's a completely different game because Calgary forces the field goal from Saskatchewan, and then, of course, they get the blown play on the Nets drive. Bully by Mitchell manages to finally get an offense, which, for the better part, had stalled for a quarter and a half, which was unbelievable in itself to see. But you cannot hold Bully by Mitchell off the scoreboard for, in most cases, as long as Saskatchewan did in the middle of that football game, which allowed the comeback. You also cannot allow Bully by Mitchell a short field like I touched on. Bottom line, mistakes against Bully by Mitchell, you're behind the eight ball. And in unbelievable Calgary fashion, I don't even want to know what would have happened if they would have blown that lead. But I, it's just unbelievable to me that you, you know, you know Bully by Mitchell feasts off of turnovers. Did you open the door for him? Yeah, and, and, and Calgary jumps ahead 24 nothing, but all of a sudden you, you see Saskatchewan starting to chip away at this a little bit. The, it starts off in the second quarter with Brett Lawther, a field goal. And then all of a sudden, what has their defense done all year long? Their defense has come up big all year in Saskatchewan. Right. And guess who? Toby Antigua. Uh, comes up with a big interception. Now, am I correct in understanding that Toby Antigua was a defensive lineman that was converted to safety? I believe yeah. he was. Uh, some, some, something like that, yeah. So something in the crazy Chris Jones mismatch, uh, scra- Texas scramble, dags, you, you get Toby Antigua at safety coming up with a massive pick six here. Uh, a 52-yard interception of Bowie by Mitchell. All of a sudden, okay, we're at 10 points on the board for Saskatchewan. And then Brett Lauder, 56-yard field goal at the end of the second quarter. I was blown away when I saw that. I, you know, he lined up to make that kick, and I'm thinking to myself, there's like zero chance this is going through. Like, There's no way he's making this. Dude nailed it. Yeah, and... This, to me, Ryan, is almost a game where the quarterback inexperience of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders hurt them a little bit. Yeah, talk about that a little bit, the offensive struggles for Saskatchewan. You know, it seemed like when Saskatchewan was chipping away and chipping away and chipping away, it would always be field goal, field goal, field goal, because they couldn't get the second down play or substantial yardage on first down to make it a manageable second down. In my opinion, there there were lots there where, you know, they could have gotten first down to extend drive. They could have gotten, you know, second down lots. Uh, to, me, to me, what was really alarming, Ryan, was the play calling. How so? Just from the standpoint that I don't believe that if Zach Talaros was the quarterback, they would have made some of those play calls on first and second down with slight, on those drives with led to field goals. To me, they they tried to play it conservative because I, I don't think quite frankly, and I could be way out to lunch on it, it just seemed like from afar that they don't really trust Brandon Bridge. Now, I talked about 
with Toronto and James Franklin, how I think that's not it's not fair to go and say that James Franklin isn't a starting quarterback uh, for Toronto, given that you know he doesn't really have pieces to work with. Is, am I unreasonable in saying that I don't think Brandon Bridge is capable of being a starting quarterback, or like does that fall in the same line as what I said about James Franklin, or do you agree with me and now starting to really question is Brandon Bridge a starting quarterback? It's to me, th- this is the way I see it. I-, I see exactly what you said. But you have to remember, what did Brandon Bridge do last year? Brandon Bridge, one play away from leading to stats, one of the great top, and I don't think if he wins that game we're having this discussion. To me, I, I just think as much as, you know, Brandon Bridge might not be the guy for Chris Jones, I don't think he's been given a truly fair shake at trying to be a quarterback, you know? He's, it, always, he's always been that guy that either comes in in relief, you know, how they had the two-quarterback system yep. uh, last year. You know, he, he's a really good guy in relief, but not necessarily a starter. I don't know. I don't know how much of that I buy. And then this year with him and Watford kind of going back, back and forth, you know, the last two games he's kind of had his chance to show. I, I just don't think that Brandon Bridge is in the right offense that fits his skill set. Now now we talk about Saskatchewan's offense and it's cha- it's it's changing this week, right? Zach Caleros back off the sixth game looks like he's going to play against Edmonton. We'll talk a little more about some of these changes in our week 8 preview show, but Caleros is back in. Deron Carter looks like he's coming back on offense this week. So that's two huge pieces for the Saskatchewan offense that they're getting back uh, this week. And and maybe it's time that they finally, you know, start to change the corner. It's just kind of funny and really unfortunate for Brandon Bridge that he's had these struggles the last couple of weeks. And only now when Zach Caleros is back, does he get Deron Carter back on offense? Well, exactly. Like what Brandon Bridge, I'll tell you whether he said this publicly or not. Wishes that Duran Carter was on offense. I mean, everybody and their dog wishes Duran Carter was on offense. But again, I think it's just coincidental with Nick Marshall coming back. And you want to know the hilarious part? Sure. Ryder fans, and I thought it's on Twitter somewhere. I don't know if it was from you. Uh, Ryder fans say they want a defensive back. And all of a sudden, Ryder fan Jet Marshall Young. <laughs> kind of hilarious. Yeah, yeah, and that Marcel Young, I mean, was picked apart in his time in Edmonton. He was picked apart in his time in BC. Was let go by BC. Now he's brought the in. Hi- the Scott. highlight, the highlight, quite honestly, of Marcel Young's career was flattening that guy on the field that being played. The streaker. <laughs> the streaker. Um. But it's very interesting. The other thing to note, Ryan, with it being the third day game and the bye week after that, I'm not so sure that Kalaros plays this week. Uh, he's been confirmed a starter already at this point. Yeah, interesting. He, he will be playing this week. Um, whether he gets 100% of snaps, because you know Chris Jones has that trigger finger, you know, he likes to rotate things around, I don't know. But uh, it looks like Chris Jones or Zach Oros will be given the start by Chris Jones this week. Um, and then in terms of, we've touched on basically all of the news here, except the one that 
is a little tough to talk about uh, with the Riders, and that's uh, Jerome Messam has been released from the team because of uh, charges for voyeurism, which uh, related to an incident uh, back in 2016 that uh, the police statement and the league statement came out. Essentially, there's charges against Jerome Messam uh, because he did something bad that should never be done. And the riders have released him, and the CFL is now stated, has gone and stated that uh, they will not register a contract by any team for Jerome Messam. Can I ask something? And I, I, I don't want to sound like a, a, a guy that knows it all. But do you think he didn't return to Calgary because Calgary knew something about this? No, absolutely no. I'll shut that down right now. I don't think Calgary knew anything about it. I don't think Saskatchewan knew anything about it. Um, I, I don't think either of the teams would, would cover that up. I, I strongly think neither of them knew about it. Um, you know, the police statements go and say that it was an incident back in 2016. That doesn't mean he was charged back in 2016. Right. Uh, they could have come out, you know, the charges could have come out recently with uh, with no, none of them knowing about it. So I don't think that's the case. Um, at the end of the day, you know, Jerome Messam made a mistake. And uh, his career, basically, at, at this point, uh, unless he's proven innocent and reinstated into the league, his career is suffering as a part of it. And that's, that's really sad to see um, because Jerome Messam was such a great player in the CFL. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you, you, you do the crime, you do the time, right? It's so, it's unbelievable to be quite honest with you, but we got to spend time talking about these things. But I, I think at the end of the day, as stupid as it sounds, it reinforces the notion that athletes are human. And, and, and I want to say this, I applaud how proactive the CFL has been so far this year, you know, immediately going and saying out, out and saying, they're not going to register a contract for him. And, you know, this is a legal proceeding, so they're not going to speak on it any further. They did the same thing with Teague Sherman uh, of Ottawa with, with there were charges against him as well. So I applaud the league for that. Uh, one thing, I, I'll, I'll give you a bit of a hot take here. Okay. I, I, I think this is actually good for Saskatchewan's offense that Jerome Messam is no longer a member of it. And that's no knock on anything he did in his career. But simply, I think a bit of clarity at the running back position will help the offense because, like I talked about Hamilton's running game struggles, when you have three guys that are only getting about five carries a game and nobody can consistently, you know, develop can develop some consistency playing with the offense, it's not going to help any of them succeed. You've got two good backs in Marcus Digpen and Trey Mason. Jerome Messam, in the time he played this year, had his fair share of struggles, and the production wasn't there. I think this is good for their offense. Who's your starting running back? I still like Thigpen. Uh, I think he has the ability to break it open, but I think we'll still see a bit of a dual-back system between them. Can I throw an interesting name in now? Sure. Christian Jones? I, I don't think he'll be the starting running back, but perhaps we'll see. Christian Jones involved a little bit more. I don't think so right now. I think I think we'll see a two-back system between those two. Uh, no, and I, and I expected you to answer that. It was just a suggestion, right? To right. Thought that 
Dame Breaker's speed on the returns and makes Rod Peterson really excited whenever he gets that that get that uh, punt return. Uh, Calgary's defense gave up a couple more points this week, Mike. The the grand total average, well, the average points against for Calgary is soaring through the roof after this week. Uh, now allowing a whopping 11.33 points against per game. I mean, this defense is really taking a hit, aren't they? Oh, my goodness, Ryan. It's a crisis. Devon Claybrook's job is on the line. <laughs> of course, if you can't tell the sarcasm, it is very prominently there because, I mean, yes, they gave up some points again this week, but again, one of them was off an interception. So, really, they gave up... How many points did Saskatchewan score in this one? 22? Uh, uh, only 15 of those were by the offense, and uh, they actually all came off the foot of Brett Lauder. So, Calgary's defense didn't allow a touchdown from the Saskatchewan offense in this game. We haven't talked much for Calgary, but really, I don't know what there is to talk about with Calgary right now, because they won again, their defense was as good as ever, their offense didn't need to be great, but got it done when they needed to, and that pretty much sums it up for Calgary. Well, Calgary released somebody today who was on their six-game injured list who, quite frankly, they couldn't find a spot on the roster for him. And who was that? Uh, the name escapes me. I saw it on Twitter today. Uh, one of the guys that was a, a offensive lineman. Uh, but the reason uh, Mark Steven put out on Twitter was he didn't see... Uh, he didn't see or somebody in Calgary, I don't know if it was him, uh, basically said that there wasn't a spot for him on the roster given how well they were playing and and, and racial stuff uh racial stuff. So Yeah, first uh first season in the CFL defensive lineman Brandon Pegasi Pegwesi. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his name, but like you said, released after coming off the six game injured list. Um, just to wrap things up here, Mike, uh, our players of the week, they've been released already offensively. It's Mike Riley. I mean, you throw four touchdown passes, you rush for another and you throw for over 400 yards. You're going to be a very easy pick for offensive player of the week. Um, very quickly, who's your honorable, honorable mention? You know, I'm going to have to give it to, 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 uh, to Tem Tembro Tompkins, uh, on the Blue Bombers, basically had a couple of game-breaking plays, which almost led to 100 yard receiving games. So when you can do that with very limited touches of the football, I think you've done something. I'd say Duke Williams is an obvious honorable mention. So is Jalen Saunders, Brad Sinopoli, like every week, and uh, Nick Dembski. Nick Dembski, over 100 yards, I think, right? Two touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, so honorable mentions there. Defensively, we gave it to Javon Santos Knox. Ten tackles, a sack trick, three sacks for him. Great game. Uh, who's your defensive player of the week, honorable mention? Defensive player of the week, honorable mention. I'd, Boy, say, I'd say Charleston Hughes or Toby Antigua. Yeah, you know, uh, the, both of those did. Uh, Toby did the interception return. Uh, Hughes has sure. two sacks. Kwaku Boateng for Edmonton also had a sack trick, three sacks. So some of those guys, I mean, Edmonton had a lot of sacks this week. So those guys stepped up. Um, and then for special teams, Lewis Ward, seven for seven on field goals. He gets our special teams player of the week. Very honorable mention to Brett Water, who went five for five and had some really long, impressive field goals. 
Really long, impressive field goals. And uh, to me, the CFL is really unique because we go into the season when who are these guys, right? Right. And it's guys, and this guy isn't a rookie. He started the banjo ball last year for the Blue Bombers. I think that was his first start. You know, guys like Santos Knotts, guys like uh, Louis Ward and and those kind of guys, like, we don't know who they are, but, boy, they become household names quickly with their play. Uh, so you said game of the week would have been what's going to be Calgary-Saskatchewan. I said it was going to be Hamilton-Ottawa. Which one was our game of the week? I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe just for the, for the up-and-downness of the game and almost the potential combat, maybe it was the... The Calgary Saskatchewan game, but maybe also the Hamilton game with how interesting that was, despite you know the defense is digging in and not giving up much. Yeah, I would agree with you. We'll go with Calgary Saskatchewan as our game of the week. A uh, couple seconds here. Any final thoughts uh, on week seven? Final thoughts in week seven. Well, I'm going to sound like a homer here, but I didn't mention this. Actually, two things. Okay, super uh, quick. Number one is the crowd which showed up at Investors Group Field. Deserves two thumbs up from me. The Argos have never really historically been a good draw for the Blue Bombers. I heard they had a crowd of in and around 27,000. Yeah. Which, which for Winnipeg is fantastic. Uh, which for the CFL, by my understanding, is right around the average. Uh, but what fans don't realize is... The average uh, CFL stadium and the average attendance expectations have dropped in recent years. Crowds around twenty-four to twenty-eight thousand. I mean, crowds, sorry, in the twenty-four to twenty-eight thousand range have become very acceptable. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, I was very impressed with the number of people that showed up, and they were treated to quite the performance by the Bombers. Uh, and then what was your second thing there, Mike? My second thing, congratulations to former uh, Blue Bomber D. Lyman, Brian Turner, who signed a one-day contract today with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to re uh, to retire at the Blue Bomber. Absolutely. Very, very excited for that. Love Brian Turner when he was here with the Bombers. Uh, final note from me here on the podcast, a very happy birthday to fellow member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network, Tony Allen of Rouge Radio. Uh, today, Tuesday, July 31st, was is, is and was his birthday, uh, so a very happy birthday to him. Happy birthday. <laughs> we'll leave it at that, Mike. Uh, week seven in the books, week eight to come. We'll have our week eight preview out Wednesday night on all the podcast feeds, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And if you want any others, just message us. I'll get them on there. Check out our website as well, mikefmwinnipeg.com slash the Canadian Football Countdown. That last part is all hyphenated. Uh, you can find Mike's power rankings on there. Uh, and then check us out on Twitter as well at CFC on Mike FM and check out all the other Canadian podcast network shows at CF pod network on Twitter and cfpodnetwork.ca. for Michael Garrell. I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening to the Canadian football countdown. Have a wonderful day and we'll talk to you in our week eight preview. Bye. Bye.